Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is, and it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. You can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because you know if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast, is brought to you by, well, you. If you want to learn how to support our show, go to CollinsLastStand.com. Greetings and salutations. Welcome back to Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast. This is episode 79. Good Lord. My name is Colin Moriarty. I'm joined, as always, by my game of the year, Chris Raygun. Chris, uh, how are you today? I'm good. It's another It's another day. It is planet. another day. It's another day. Now, I don't know if I should tell this story on this podcast. You know, I'm just going to do it anyway in the Sacred Symbols cinematic universe. Uh, we were talking on episode 20 of Sacred Symbols Plus about how I was getting ready to move and do all my stuff. And I actually, I moved all of my stuff yesterday, last night with my friend Ramon. And it was a little annoying, but it was relatively painless. I got to be honest with you. Like you just bring things to FedEx, they pack things for you. You know, I have the boxes all ready to go. But I just wanted to let everyone know out there that sometimes things go better than you expect. Well, that's and, pretty good, uh, especially because lesson. moving is so tedious. Oh, it's the worst. It's the worst. It costs over $1,000 to ship all these boxes that I brought to FedEx. God. And it's a, it's a lot of money. But I was talking to my friend Ramon when we were there just paying. And I'm like, when you really think about it, it's a pretty good deal. Like, I'm I'm just giving these random people, this random company, just I think it's like 12 or 13 boxes. One of them is 150 pounds of books, by the way. <laughs> and uh, 
for 1200 bucks or whatever. They're just going to bring it across the country. I'm like, oh, it seems seems like a pretty good deal. And thus is the market economy in the United yeah. States. Chris, now we've never I don't know. You can correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't know that we've ever done what we're doing today, which is recording episodes totally out of order. I don't know that we've ever done this, I, but basically I'm sorry. Yeah, I don't I don't think we've done this. I think we might have done it once. This seems like something that's happened at least once. OK, so perhaps people can go back and look into the uh, the annals of Sacred Symbols lore to see if we've done this in the past. But we recorded episode 77 of Sacred Symbols, which is live. You have already also heard 78 because this is episode 79. We've just not even recorded episode 78 by the time we're recording this, because this is kind of our week off podcast where we celebrate game of the year. And we're just kind of going to publish it forward. Episode 78, as you already know although we've not recorded it yet, is going to be a regular episode of the show. So just wanted to throw that out there in case there's any confusion or we say things that are out of order. We've not time traveled or done anything unsavory or mystical in any way. No. So just didn't want to scare anyone. But Chris, this episode is dedicated to our game of the year. And as we began the tradition last year, and we'll push the tradition for as long as our show exists, each of us are going to give three game of the year awards out our three favorite games, and then we're going to give out five random awards each that we've made up that are not necessarily even compliments. And <laughs> then yeah. we'll go into the audience. You have a lot of input, a lot of your games of the year, a lot, some awards that you want to give out as well. So that's pretty much the structure of this episode. Nothing too crazy, no news. If anything happened this week, I don't know about it. The week hasn't happened yet. <laughs> So it's a little difficult to talk about it from that perspective. The week hasn't happened yet. It's a kind of a horrifying sentence. It's like a Christopher Nolan movie or something that we're in. Yeah. That Christopher Nolan movie, whatever it's called, Tenet. Did you yeah. see the trailer for that? It looks awesome. Uh, whatever it is, it looks cool. Yeah, I love him. I just love Christopher Nolan. What a what a man. What a man. Did you like the Batman movies? Yeah, very much. I loved them. Yeah. I liked uh, I liked the middle one. The ba- uh, Dark Knight. Yeah, that last one was. Uh... Don't say it. <laughs> All right. I love that. I love the Dark Knight Rises so much. That's my that's my favorite one. The third one. Love really? It. The one where he like nukes himself, but he like somehow survives. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, brother. Because he's Batman. Bale. What's his name? Christian Bale is not the star of the show for me in those movies. It's oh, it's the it's the villains and like the the ancillary characters that I really enjoy personally. No, definitely. He's he's got that gruff. <laughs> I just love the gruff Batman voice. Like no one knows that this is Bruce Wayne. No one has any idea that this guy is Bruce Wayne. I mean, most people are probably thinking, why would billionaire Bruce Wayne talk like such an idiot? Yeah, that's true. Kind of like with Trump. The ultimate defense would be if Batman sounded just like a complete buffoon. That would be interesting. Yeah, he sounded like just a complete like a like a complete mental defect. He sounds like he's from Southie in Boston with all the (laughs) the awful accents. Yeah, he sounds like somebody who uh, learned English from the departed. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> By the way, no offense to Southie, of course. I'm just talking about the uh, the ridiculous way that you all speak there. <laughs> all right, Chris, let's get into our choices. I'll kick it to you as tradition dictates. So what is your number three? We're going to go in descending order. Three, two, one. So our three favorite games of the year leading up to our favorite game of the year. And then we'll give away our awards going back and forth. Sure, sure. So what's your what's your number three game that you want to give a shout out to? My number three has to be in the face of all these brilliant games, in the face of Resident Evil 2 and Devil May Cry and, you know, all these incredible experiences, the Outer Worlds. I got to pick Crash Team Racing Nitro Fueled, obviously. Uh, it's 
this is obviously a personal one for me. I just think that game just plays so impeccably well, and I just miss games that felt like proper challenges. It's not necessarily where I want the industry going, but uh, whenever the industry goes back and looks at some of the more, you know, sweaty kind of competitive titles and just sort of recreates that authentic experience, it's it's. I think it's worth looking back on and kind of giving some praise to, especially because it was just done super well. I understand that that's a weird one, <laughs> considering everything else that's happened and come out this year, but I, uh, I can't deny my heart. It's the only, it's the only other platinum I have for a reason, and I can't, I can't argue with that, that science. Yeah, that's sound logic to me. I mean, uh, I was looking, I anticipated this, so I was reading a little bit about the game, and uh, I didn't realize, and I might have said that Toys for Bob made this game in the past. I didn't realize Beanox made CTR, which is kind of interesting. The people who made the terrible, amazing Spider-Man games, right? Somehow exactly. made this. Yeah, they made this game and they did a they did a really nice job with it. it. You know, it's funny because you have a lot of praise for this game, but we've talked about it in the past. This game is actually a critical darling and a commercial darling. I, I would really be interested to see final MPD numbers for 2019 if this bad boy slots somewhere in like the top 25 or 30 games sold in the United States because it was it was on the charts and it was doing really well. And it seems like it's doing really well digitally, too. So we'll probably I, I got to be honest with you with Beanox doing that and Toys for Bob doing the port. One of these teams is going to do a new crash game. So or you have to assume anyway. So we'll see how it goes. I think Toys, Toys for Bob, I think, does Spyro. I'm pretty sure. I don't know if they do crash. Yeah, I'm reading here. Beanox, Beanox did Skylanders, Trap Team, Superchargers, and Superchargers Racing, and then they did Call of Duty Modern Warfare Remastered, which I didn't even play. Oh, Toys for Bob did help with uh, Insane Trilogy, but it was Vicarious okay. Visions, I think. Vicarious Visions. All right, so all these Activision studios. Anyway, yeah, basically. one of them will uh, will come out with something new, my assumption uh, is. That will be nice. But we'll see. But that was a fine choice. I think that's a perfectly fine choice. Uh, my, my third choice, Chris, is one that you're not going to be pleased with, I don't think, but... <laughs> Uh, Days Gone. I want to give a shout out to Days Gone at number three by Sony Bend, published by Sony PS4 exclusive, came out early in the year. You know, the more I sat with this game and the more I thought about it, especially after I finished it and after I platinumed it, I really enjoyed what they were doing. Like, I I really like this idea of, first of all, the Pacific Northwest, which we don't see very often. We saw it a little bit in Infamous Second Son, but it was a city. It was Seattle. This is in the the environs of Oregon and the woods and the mountains. It's awesome. I love that. I love the motorcycle aspect of it, even though it doesn't make a whole lot of sense with the plot itself and the, the ridiculous amount of noise they must be making on these choppers. But the characters are cool. And, and I like that the story got a little bit more strange and a little more grounded as time went on. And as we mentioned on Sacred Symbols Plus episode 20, I think we talked a little bit about it with a listener question. The horde fighting in the game... Not the whore fighting, but the horde <laughs> fighting in the game is amongst the best, most kinetic, exciting gameplay I've experienced in a video game in, in some time. And I really almost wish the game was more structured around that because once the last third of the game comes around and you can really take on these hordes and these whores, the, the game really opens up a great deal. And you can tell why they used a engine like Unreal 4 for this game and... I'm really just very interested to see what they do with the inevitable sequel that's going to come to this because 
we often excuse first offerings as not being very good as being first steps or being lesser than the games that come ahead. And if that's true for Days Gone into an assumed Days Gone 2, then we're really in for a, a treat, I think. And I don't know. I, I really liked it. Yeah. I like Days Gone. I think there's potential in it. I just think there's, there, you know, obviously with the, the, the way the story starts and like it is really frustrating the way that it's structured and even just the tone to me. Like, because I feel like if the tone was just a little less self-serious i probably would have been a lot more into it because it just feels too here's another third person action zombie game from sony again <laughs> i don't know like i think that was i think the la- its proximity to the initial release date of the last of us was in my head also that's true yeah and i think that was in their heads too at sony i think that that was probably an internal yeah. marketing and catalog for sure curation problem but i do so. think the i do think the sequel has a ton of potential if they can i if they can iron out all of the kinks with the the way like storytelling works and just the clearly stitched together way that the cutscenes were put together and you know i think if the, and especially now that they have feedback to know that horde fighting is the thing even though i think they probably already knew that it'll be nice to see a sequel that's a little bit more refined well, we'll see. We'll find out. We won't at that rate. I mean, it took them what seven years to make that game. So I think we're going to be waiting a little while <laughs> yeah. for any sort of sequel. Chris Joey Mendoza wrote in. He also thinks Days Gone is the game of the year. He says, hey, CNC, my award for the most popular game to hate on Twitter, but is actually a good game goes to Days Gone. I felt around the time the game released Days Gone received far too much hate on social media for being as good of a game that it turned out to be. It's not in the discussion of game of the year. What is on mine? But it wasn't a bad game. How do you feel the game got treated when it was released? Thanks for the amazing podcast. We've talked a lot about this in the past, Chris, but Sony PR really did this game a disservice and cost the game a lot of points on Metacritic by not making sure the game was fully patched before releasing it. And I don't know that we got this. I don't know that we got the experience that normal people that got the game later on received if they played it in the months to come. So that's just something else to keep in mind with the Days Gone hate. The game, I mean, I've not played the game since I platinumed it. I don't know, but I assume the game is in pretty great shape at this point so just something to keep in mind yeah for sure thank you joey all right chris what's your number two game of the year my number two game of the year has got to be control by remedy because it came kind of out of nowhere it was like kind of a quiet release it wasn't really marketed all that heavily i was kind of looking forward to it based on just my prior experience with remedy and just you know happening to enjoy pretty much everything they've ever made uh, we'll see if Crossfire X is good. Right. <laughs> but uh, I'm a little bit doubtful of that. But yeah, this game kind of caught my eye immediately. I'm I'm a sucker for anything with telekinesis. Really, the second you put telekinesis in my hands, I'm like, all right, this is uh, something worth playing. I think this it's why I was so enamored with Destroy Humans back in the day. And, and this game really just strikes me as just such a weird mix of Twin Peaks and, and like, you know, Destroy Humans and this, these, this, this weird kind of almost like photorealistic kind of psychological thriller with super... It's just so bizarre. It's such a bizarre experience, and it's told in such a neat way, and it plays so interestingly for a third-person shoot. It's a game that looks like so many other games, but it plays so so differently, and, and it's got one of my favorite moments, I think, in any video game in the form of the ashtray maze. Uh, which I won't spoil if you haven't played it or anything, but and I assume most people haven't played it because it didn't sell it at, at all. No, but, uh, it certainly did. There are there are sequences in that game that really kind of 
made my jaw drop and I was just super ecstatic that a moment like that happened in a modern game because I feel like that I feel like moments like that moment don't happen all that often and uh it's a cool game it's a shame that it doesn't run as well as it really should I think this is a game that's definitely going to come out and you know blossom once it's on stronger hardware I think PlayStation 5 is probably gonna give this game a the kick in the pants that it really needs to perform as well as it should which is a shame but I remember Control I thought initially when it came out that it would be my game of the year and uh, it somehow managed to fight its way onto the list at least well very good I I think I liked well first of all I liked Control too and I think it did worse than I even thought it was going to do commercially. I'm really, really interested in why this game wasn't purchased because a lot of people are saying, well, it wasn't advertised and this and that, but a lot of games aren't advertised. I promise you there were not Man of Madon advertisements during football or something like that. Oh, yeah. And that game outsold control handedly. So there are just games that don't need advertising that are known as being good or interesting or quirky and they sell well. And Control, I thought, would have been one of those slow burners, but... And Remedy claims that it is going to be one of those slow burners. They made the game for $30 million, which is really not anything at all. So for all we know, the game could be very profitable. And like Chris said, they're working on Crossfire X. Crossfire! <laughs> that's exactly the, that's what I thought of when that game was announced. I was going to ask you if you remember the Crossfire uh, commercial. I used to love Cross. I loved that game, Crossfire. <laughs> the it, Crossfire was like, for people that don't know, a, kind of like a board game. It was a physical game that you played with a friend across from you. And you use these triggers to shoot like these silver balls into the other person's goal. And there was this amazing commercial. You can look it up. It's fame. It's like a famous commercial. If you're a kid or a kid in the eighties and nineties yeah, uh, for crossfire. And there's like just these dudes in like leather jackets, these kids like playing this game with these crazy sci-fi backgrounds. And then the, like this gnarly music playing in the background. Dude, just being like crossfire. <laughs> it was like, <laughs> it's oh, cool shit. It. It's awesome. Uh, CL squared wrote into us though. He, he didn't quite agree with you. He says, hello, gents. My award to give out is the best game that didn't work award, and it goes to control. I tried four different times to play the damn game, but kept getting frame rate drops, hitching and hiccups at every turn. And every time I tried to use my cool telekinetic powers, I could tell there was an awesome game underneath all the issues and will sadly wait until PS5 to play. A lot of people did have technical problems with this game. I did. Well, Chris and I both play on pro. You played it on pro, right? Or did you play on Xbox? I played. Oh, my God. Where did I play it? I, I'm pretty sure I played on Pro, yeah. So, yeah, I played it there, too, and, and there were problems with the game. The game did become cleaner when they started to patch it, but it definitely wasn't running great. You could tell the game was made quickly. As we've said many times, I think that game could have used a little more time in the oven, but I happen to have really liked it. I think that's a great choice for one of your games of 2019. Chris, I'm going to bounce back to my second game on my list, which is Borderlands 3 by Gearbox. And I didn't expect, first of all, I wasn't anticipating this game at all. I knew it was coming. It was announced. I like Borderlands. I like Borderlands 2. Didn't so much like the pre-sequel. Didn't feel right to me. That was made by 2K Australia, so not a huge surprise, I guess. But Borderlands 3 came, and I just fell in love with it. I just think it's it's the perfect game for someone like me that wants to play by yourself. And it's not like The Division 2, which is another game I really liked, where the Division 2 can be played by yourself, and I played it and beat it by myself, but you can tell that the game doesn't want you to play that way. Yeah. Borderlands 3 didn't really ever make me feel that way. It made me feel like I was experiencing the game as it was meant to be played, even though I know a lot of people are playing in, in squads and having a probably a, a good time with the game in their own fashion. 
But I enjoyed the gunplay a great deal. I like the environment, the quirkiness. If anything, I think the game's a little too big and a little too long. Yeah. I, I think that that would be like one of my complaints. But I just loved the systems and subsystems. The menus didn't run very well and all of that. But when you could kind of shut out the story, which I didn't really care about after a while, and just play and just enjoy and upgrade. And I don't know. There was something very, very satisfying about Borderlands 3. And I just really enjoyed it. And I really do want to go back and get the Platinum Trophy. There's one of these parts of the game, these post parts of the game, post beating it, that I just can't beat. And uh, that's what's holding me back. But yeah, I wanted to give a shout out to Borderlands 3. And I was surprised I might have missed it. But in our audience inquiries for this episode, no one brought the game up. So what for better or for worse. So I don't know if it's a game that just kind of slipped by people's radars. A lot of people bought it, but maybe it's one of those games that's a little more forgettable for some people this year. But I really like Borderlands 3 and I wanted to give it a shout out as one of my games of the year. That's definitely solid. I think most people probably just it's one of those things where it's like people are more likely to tune out remakes when they're talking about game of the year. I feel like obviously Borderlands 3 isn't a remake, but it's definitely more of a retread of things that we've played before. So maybe it doesn't stick out quite as much as some of the more standout titles this year, even like Devil May Cry 5, which is also like a return to form in a lot of ways, plays so differently than most of the things that have come out in a while. So it's probably it's probably just Borderlands fatigue, which is ironic because it's been so long. Yeah, it was seven years between core games, which is a long time. Yeah, which is probably like too long for some people. The prob- I feel like maybe people were just like, ah, really now? Now they're doing Borderlands 3? I think it's a great game too, but... Yeah, they waited too long. I mean, I think that that's kind of in common industry wisdom and wisdom with people like us is that Border- when Borderlands 2 came out in 2012, it was something there was nothing like that on console, really. And so it it, it dominated. It, it, Borderlands 2 is a dominant game. I mean, it can't be understated how much Borderlands. I think Borderlands 2 has sold like more than 20 million units. So, I mean, that's a lot of games for a game like that. And Borderlands 3 was never going to meet that or exceed that number. But I'm glad that they finally got around to doing it. And Gearbox, I think, did make an error by not immediately taking advantage of Borderlands by making Borderlands 3 come out or start making Borderlands in 2013 for 2015 or 2016. But nonetheless, we did get it. Wanted to give it a shout out. Tip of the cap to Gearbox Software. Chris, what is your game of the year? Game of the year. The number one. The head honcho here. I I, I have to... Uh, I gotta. I have to give it to Death Stranding, I mm. think. Which was not something that I would have anticipated at all when this year started, because I, I, I'm pretty sure I started this year off wanting, almost excited to really kind of lay into it as a pretentious, self-absorbed art piece from somebody who I have a great deal of respect for for a lot of games, but also kind of can't stand for a few. Um and it just totally won me over immediately almost. Like I was immediately enveloped in this weird, weird game. And what seemed like something that I really would be opposed to on paper, a game all about boredom and a game all about just sort of walking from place to place with no fast travel. Everything everything about it on paper seems like the worst idea. Like if I was a Sony executive, I would have not greenlit this i would have been like no you have to make a game please but you know he he stuck to it he made it in a very short amount of time uh compared to kojima's usual cycle and it just turned out 
to be something so special, and I think it's probably going to sit with me for a really long time. And I don't know if it's something that I want to see more of necessarily, but I'm really happy and excited that we got something like this, this generation, because I feel like this generation's been relatively safe and relatively, you know, um, okay with just sort of retreading ground and refining ground that's been tread on a thousand times. So to see a game like this succeed and be good is is just really, really cool to me. So I think I got to give it to Death Stranding. I'm with you, man. I think that on paper, like you said, it just doesn't sound that riveting. It sounds like a chore. And now chore type games are really popular. Think about a game like Stardew Valley or Harvest Moon. Those those games are all about doing chores and shit. But yeah. and you can make that fun. And so they made somehow over at Kojima Productions a game about hiking, basically, and moving and being a parcel deliverer in this post-apocalyptic United States, they made it interesting. And I think nine out of 10 times, this game doesn't work out. I think that it worked out really well in this regard. I, I agree with you. I think Death Stranding is way better than I thought it was going to be. It's one of those mind bug games where I just, I think about it. I ponder about it. I'm really eager to read smart people's takes on the game as time goes on. There's not too many people writing about this game right now in a, in a really thoughtful way, but hopefully with time, people will have something to say about it. And it's awesome because I hope it's a one-off. I mean, I, I hope that they have the audacity and the courage to make this a one-off game. Yeah. I don't know if they will. I don't know. I'm not even really sure what Kojima wants to do in the game space and if that would make sense. And I think a sequel would really, it's like almost like Shadow of the Colossus. Now, I know you're really fond of that game. I'm not a huge Shadow of the Colossus fan, but I can tell you that I think everyone would agree that you can't make a sequel to Shadow of the Colossus. I don't know how you would do that or a, a sequel to some of these these more artsy games, like a sequel to Gone Home or yeah. something. Yeah. So I agree with you. I think that Stranding's wonderful, and uh, I really highly recommend it. It's, 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 it's a bit of a chore and a bit of a slog at times, oh, yeah. but I think that's part of it. And I don't say that... I don't say that facetiously. It, it, is, part of the, it is part of the experience, the boredom, the waiting... The patience, it's part of it. And you earn everything you get in the game. And I think that that's cool. There's not a lot of games like that anymore. So I think that's a great choice. Matthew Mandela wrote in, he agrees with you, Chris. He says, greetings from chilly Pittsburgh, my friends. My game of the year was definitely Death Stranding. This game really sucked me in for a multitude of reasons. I loved the gameplay, art direction, and especially the music. I feel like we take the terrain in our games for granted. This game forced you to consider every single step along your journey. The earth could be your ally or your enemy. I also have to shout out the amazing multiplayer component. I'm more of a single player guy, but I soon found myself constructing pathways so that the people who come after me might have an easier time through the perils of a post-apocalyptic America. I felt like I was contributing to a larger community despite never seeing anyone. For these unique reasons, on top of a delightfully weird Kojima story, Death Stranding was my game of the year. Very well put, Matthew. Yeah. I'm Sam. That's <laughs> what, what happens when you press uh, what, what is it like R3 or L3 or something this bike is cool it should be on ride with Norman Reedus <laughs> such a weird fucking game I love it, is it very weird it's very weird Chris my game of the year is Fell Seal Arbiter's Mark very excited to give this game of the year award out to Six Eyes Studios small tiny studio I think they're in Europe uh, this is a game that I, I just can't believe I can't believe this game exists. And I was so excited, like thoroughly excited when I found out 
that Fell Seal existed and even more excited when I started playing it. I think this game is the closest we've gotten to Final Fantasy Tactics or Tactics Ogre ever. And that includes Front Mission, that includes Advance Wars and Fire Emblem, although I'm not super experienced in that. Arbiter's Mark is just a really, really, really strong turn-based strategy role-playing game. And if you're not into those kinds of games, there's nothing for you here. But if you grew up on Tactics and Tactics Ogre, and you like that kind of stuff, I mean, you're gonna, you're absolutely going to fall in love with this game. I, I can't imagine that someone who likes Tactics is going to play this game and be like, I don't, I don't know what this is. I don't like this game at all. Yeah. So... I know it's not Chris's type of game. You don't have anything to say about Fell Seal, do you? you no, didn't definitely play it. not. I haven't. I haven't touched it. I, I just. I mean, I just really. I think I played it for sixty hours or so. I still have to do a lot of the optional stuff in the game, like the post beating the game, post game stuff. If I wanted to go back to it, but I spent probably sixty hours with the game or so. I was really obsessive about keeping the clock right, so it was probably more like a hundred hours or more when you die or have to do things over and over again. And building your own parties is fun. Playing with the skill trees is fun. Buying equipment, doing the side quest, and obviously the combat itself. And the story is pretty cool, too. So if you're into strategy role-playing games like I am, and Final Fantasy Tactics is one of your favorite games like it is for me, then Felseal Arbiter's Mark is an absolute must-play. And Max Davis wrote in and said, for me, it's Felseal Arbiter's Mark. He agrees with me. He says, I picked it up after Colin saying its praises on the podcast, and wow, it's such a great game for the tactics lovers, and I can't wait to see the DLC next year. I hope the team who made it gets some extra resources and can follow up with a sequel or a game in the same vein. Early prediction for game of the year 2020, he says, Twin Breaker. Let's not get ahead of ourselves <laughs> Yeah, uh, quite yet. But yeah, so apparently uh, Six Eyes is going to make a DLC pack for Arbiter's Mark, which is really cool. I'm excited about that, too. And uh, I would be much more excited if they went and made a new game, but I understand that that's easier said than done. I've always assumed that this genre of game was really difficult to make, not from a structural standpoint, but from a design standpoint. And I think that that's why we don't get a lot of them because they have to be really tight. It's like making a board game. Yeah, yeah. It's not something that you can easily just sort of dream up. Right, exactly. You have to play it and create it and tune it. I'm sure it's really annoying. Uh, I, I, that has to be one of the reasons why we don't get a lot of these games. But these guys did it. Six Eyes did it. Congratulations to them. Uh, for Colin Moriarty, Felseal Arbiter's Mark is my game of the year. Very, very exciting stuff. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now, all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. 
Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is, and it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. All right, Chris, now that we got through our games of the year, let's give out our five random awards before we move on. Chris, what is your first random award? Okay, let's uh, let's go with uh, the Doom's Delayed. So I guess this is fine. Award goes to Rage 2. Mm. Uh, Rage 2 was not a terrible game, but it wasn't great either. I don't think I regret my time with it. Like, it was, I liked shooting. I, I liked the combat of it. I just wish that was the game. You know? It feels yeah, like I so much yeah. of the game is just meandering around a right. really empty, desolate wasteland, except unlike Death Stranding, it's just not interesting to traverse. It's just such a weird game. Really weird game. Especially that especially because like it came out presumably a few months before Doom Eternal's initial release. So like I don't know what the hell they were planning with that. Yeah, it might have been in the cards the entire time. I don't know. Rage 2's collaboration between Avalanche and Id was interesting. I think they made a mistake by making it seem like Id made this game. They obviously didn't. It was just running on Id Tech. And yeah, I don't know why they felt. Well, I know why they felt. Everything needs to be bigger and bolder and take longer. And and Rage 2 didn't serve that at all. I understand the original Rage was an open world-ish role-playing game, but... Rage 2 could have been a much tighter game because the combat's fun as shit. Like Chris yeah. said, the game's really fun to play. Super fun to play, actually. And yeah, just driving around and going for it reminded me a lot of Mad Max in that sense, which Avalanche made as well. But Mad Max's emptiness had a reason. There was a reason, a plot reason. It, it, the environment was supposed to be desolate. I know that Rage 2 is in a dead world, too, but it just felt kind of the same. And it didn't play as it didn't. The way it played didn't play into the game structure, let's say. So I never beat it because of that. Yeah, me neither. But that's a good first award. Chris, my first award goes to the best game that lets you mercilessly beat up a war adults award. Uh, this goes to River City Girls. <laughs> River City Girls is is really, really good. And I, I don't know. Did you play the game River City Girls? Did I didn't beat them up. So River City Girls is a way forward game. Way forward is awesome. Also, Arc System Works published it and worked on it, I think, a little bit. Arc System Works is now getting into the publishing scene. They're, of course, known for Guilty Gear and Blaze Blue over in Japan, the fighting games. But I really didn't know what to expect with this game because I like River City Ransom a lot, which is an old Technos NES game. And there's quite a few of these different games in this franchise. The franchise, I think, River City Girls is called... Kunio no Kunio Kun or something. I don't know in Japanese. Anyway, the game ended up being really fun. And, and I it's just a classic dr double dragon style beat em up. You play as two schoolgirls. You can play with a friend or you can play by yourself. Different difficulty levels. And you're just beating up like patrons in a mall and like <laughs> kids with skateboards and businessmen and all this kind of stuff. And you're doing it to rescue your boyfriends who have been who have been kidnapped, which I think is so cool because it turns the whole save the princess thing on its head. Yeah, which I liked a lot. The girls were were the girls are cute and boisterous and silly and sarcastic and the writing's really good and the voice acting's really cool. And so I, I really dug that game a lot. And I think that it's a totally a game worth the price of entry, which I think is like twenty nine ninety nine at this point. 
And so, yeah, I, if you're in the beat-em-ups, classic style beat-em-ups, which is not a common thing anymore. We recently got Castle Crashers actually on PS4, which is cool, but we don't really get a lot of these kinds of arcade beat-em-up games anymore. River City Girls is a really, really rock-solid game, and it is the best game that lets you mercil- mercilessly beat up adults. It gets the auspicious award for that. So congratulations to River City Girls. Yeah, it's like uh, Scott Pilgrim when that game came out. That was a right. cool one, too. And that, that, yeah, that, that was that, great. That game's not, you can't get that game anymore. That's right. Yeah, it's, it's locked away on the uh, old consoles. And yeah, I like, I, if, as I recall, because I think I got this confused with Castle, Crash, Castle Crashers when we were talking about it. I think it was Scott Pilgrim that had no online multiplayer, which was strange. Yeah, yeah. You had to play it locally, which was weird for that time. All right, Chris, what's your next arbitrary award that you want to give out for this year? The best unintentional comedy award goes to Anthem mm. because of everything about it and how and just what a mess it is and how kind of uh, how kind of sad it is that uh, it was made by such a renowned studio and just couldn't figure out what the hell it was. The story around it, too, is just such a such a fascinating story. I, I believe uh, Kotaku ran like this crazy big expose earlier earlier this year about just the crazy shit going on there how they didn't even know what the game was until the they the pre-rendered e3 showcase and they were like oh i guess i guess flying's back in the game now and just a fascinating story with anthem definitely yeah the story you're referring to i think jason schreier at kataka wrote it yeah it is fascinating because uh what's the what is it eric wilson or whatever the guy's name is that's the head of EA or was at that time and talking about how he kind of was meddling with the game. And yeah, it's strange. Like you said, such a famous studio like Bioware just shitting something out like Anthem. Although it's worth noting, we discussed on episode 77 of Sacred Symbols that Anthem is the 10th best selling game of 2019. Yeah, something to keep in mind, which is the same kind of thing we were seeing with Fallout 76. Very interesting stuff. Although I don't know if NPD is counting monies made or units sold because if it's units sold, it's not that impressive because I think you can get Anthem for $5 right now at certain retailers, which is unbelievable. Indicating that the game's going to go free to play, I think. But Lee Bull wrote into us about Anthem. He had an award to give away to it for it as well. He said, what's up, C-Squared? I have an award to give. I'm calling it the award for the most addictive moment-to-moment gameplay in a broken mess of a game, and the winner is Anthem. I couldn't believe it, but I put 100-plus hours into that game and I even achieved the Platinum. I suffered the load times, the server boots, the lack of an endgame, all because I just couldn't stop having so much goddamn fun. Happy holidays, guys. So Lee Bull had a bit of a different experience, but I've been hearing this. People like the game. Yeah. So uh, if you like it, that's perfectly fine, perfectly acceptable, Lee Bull. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much. You won't obviously agree with Chris's award of the best unintentional comedy. <laughs> but I'm, I'm with Chris on that one. Chris, the next game that I want to... Oh, by the way, before I even get into that, because I, I, I do want to try to use as many of the questions we got from the audience and comments. Tyler R. wrote into us about River City Girls. He did say, shout out to Bloodstain and The Messenger. Yeah, shout out to The Messenger. I didn't get to talk oh, about yeah. that here. But, but Game of the Year... I, the Messenger's rough because The Messenger came to PS4 this year, but it technically, I think, came out last year. It doesn't yeah, really matter. That is a good game, though. I guess. It's excellent. Uh, just an awesome beat em up. He says about River City Girls, just an awesome beat em up and linear gameplay experience with amazing soundtrack. The soundtrack was good. Good humor and great pixel art. You can really see the care the developers took creating the game. Uh, thanks to CNC for recommending this hidden treasure. You're very welcome. My next award is uh, I don't remember playing this game at all. Uh, goes to Ghoul Boy. Ghoul Boy. And I actually had to look it up. Do I have it here in my tabs? I don't even know if I do. What the hell is that? What, what is Ghoul Boy? Ghoul Boy is just this random side scroller that came to Vita. Oh, here it is. 
came to Vita earlier this year. It's called Ghoul Boy Dark Sword of Goblin, I believe. And it actually came out in 2017 on PC. It says it's by the developer and publisher Sirkin Bakar. So I think it's just made by one person. But it's this kind of heavy side-scrolling action game made in a 16-bit aesthetic that's supposed to kind of be like Castlevania-ish. And it wasn't bad. I enjoyed it. I platinumed the game. But I gave a, I don't remember, I guess it makes sense. I gave a, I gave an award away last year, Chris, as you might recall, of a game that I didn't even remember playing and had the Platinum Trophy in it. And it's the same one with this. Until I looked at a video of this, I'm like, what the fuck is Ghoul Boy? <laughs> and I only played it like seven or eight months ago. Uh, so I want to give away the auspicious, I don't remember playing this game at all award to Ghoul Boy, which of course no one else wrote in about. Yeah. Chris, what is your next award? My next award is the most likely to be confused with something else award. Mm. And it goes to the uh, it goes to Outer Wilds. Yeah. Unfortunate. Yeah. <laughs> it's a shame because that game I hear is also particularly great. It's made by Mobius Digital. Annapurna published it. It's a, a kind of like an adventure. I think it's an adventure game, right? I think so. And yeah, it's supposed to be really good. And it's so weird because obviously Chris is talking about the confusion with the much bigger Obsidian game Outer Worlds. And I actually got them confused a little bit at first, too. Now, that confusion was broken eventually. But I feel bad for Annapurna and whatever for Outer, Outer Wilds because it's not only that the names are similar, but that they came out not only the same year, but that they came out around the same time. So mm-hmm. I wonder how many accidental sales there were of one or the other <laughs> just because of the name. It must have happened to somebody. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. At least one person. That's a good award. Brent Lindquist wrote into us about that game. He said, hey, fellas, my 2019 game of the year is Outer Wilds. I love its freedom of exploration and the way it boils down some of the inherent joys of games like No Man's Sky into handcrafted worlds built deliberately to add to the game's world. I also love how it equates exploring space to hiking and camping while simultaneously making use of a wonderful control scheme for moving in low and zero gravity. As always, thanks for the wonderful podcast and congratulations on the reveal of Twin Breaker. Twin Breaker. Yeah, thank you so much. I don't know what that was. I don't know why I said it like that. Yeah, you were you doing the were you doing the trailer voice? Yeah, maybe. Yeah, maybe that's what that's why I got it from. Yeah, that was the be- that, that was my best impression. <laughs> so thank you for writing in about Outer Wilds. Glad you liked it, Brent. And uh, Chris's confusing award. I agree. Good award. My next award is the most anticipated disappointment. That certainly was an award. It's for Bloodstained Ritual of the Night. Now, Bloodstained Ritual of the Night is, of course, uh, Iga or Koji Igarashi's new Castlevania type Symphony of the Night type game. He's the longtime producer of the Castlevania series, starting with his work on Symphony of the Night, although he goes back to Rondo of Blood in terms of work on the Castlevania franchise. Art Play, which is a Japanese studio, made the game. 505 published it, and it ended up being great. Now, I'm not a huge fan of 2.5D aesthetics. I think that they're... I, don't, I was going to say they're lazy. That's not true. It's done because they're much easier to do, if to render a game, as opposed to using sprites or hand-drawn stuff. And that was the big disappointment in the game, because for as beautiful as it was... And for as gothic as it was and all of that, it could have been even more outrageous if it really took they took the time and effort to make it a proper 2D game. But nonetheless, I loved it. I absolutely loved it. I thought it was really fun. I thought the characters were great. The combat was awesome. The story was riveting. The world was fun to explore. It had plenty of really almost overt Castlevania Symphony of the Night throwbacks. It almost felt like it's like putting on like a pair of old gloves that fit just perfectly. Not like O.J. Simpson putting on the glove in 1994 at at his trial for the murder of his wife, but rather a glove that actually fits your hand uh, that you just hadn't worn in a while. Oh, my God. I love that that's a thing that's real. <laughs> it is. that 
I'll never forget when he was pretending that that glove didn't fit. I was in like 10, I was 10 or I think it was in sixth grade when the trial was going on and his hands were just all spread apart and he just couldn't get the glove on. That trial was awesome. Yeah. You know, regardless of how you feel about the outcome, of course. So, uh, yeah, the anticipated disappointment that certainly was an award goes to Bloodstained. And I guess I was just nervous because of what happened with Inafune and Mighty Number no. 9 back in 2016. But we have to understand that these are two separate creators. This game took a lot longer. They delayed this game several times. It was really late. Bloodstain was supposed to come out in 2018, I think. So the game was late. They took their time. Artplay got it right, and it ended up being awesome. And Bloodstain Ritual of the Night is really an awesome game. I mean, you have to play it if you're into that sort of style of game. So congratulations to Koji Igarashi for winning the auspicious, the anticipated disappointment that certainly was an award. Chris, what is your next award? Uh, my next award is the Unyielding Fever Dream Award, and it goes Ooh. to Kingdom Hearts 3 for continuing to haunt my life <laughs> well after its release with DLC and just it just doesn't end. It just never ends. It, ref- it literally refuses to go away is what you're saying. <laughs> it really. It, I don't know, man. <laughs> I know we shit on it a lot. <laughs> this is mostly sarcastic, but like, I mean, come on. The game's out. The game's out already. Please stop. Just, just if you want to play it, just play it by yourself quietly. <laughs> yeah, in like a Please. sound padded room. Yeah, we do shit on this game a lot. I know that some Kingdom Hearts fans get ma- actually are getting mad at us for shitting on it so much. I think it's great if you guys enjoy it, but I have been paying attention. There are quite a few people, Kingdom Hearts fans, that didn't like the game. Yeah, and this might be another example. An- another example. I mean, this is an even more extreme example, actually. Of, a, of we were talking about Borderlands. It was like more than well over a decade between Kingdom Hearts 2 and 3, as far as I know. Kingdom Hearts 2 was a PS2 game. So that, I think, I know that there were all these interstitials and all the whatever. I don't, I can't keep up with all the lore. I don't know. I don't want to know. But Kingdom Hearts 3 seemed a little late as well. One thing that's just, one thing that's just objectively bad about it that I think everybody, even Kingdom Hearts people can agree with, is the fact that it's the third game in in the series, chronologically, but there are so many other spin-off games that are integral to the story that jumping into two or jumping into three from two is just suicide. Like you're just not going to understand that. And that's objectively like a really bad way to structure your your universe and your narrative and your your trilogy. <laughs> yeah. Definitely. But yeah, I don't know. Yeah, you obviously have to have a lot of tendrils to the past, but make it accessible to people that are new to it. And I almost wish that I had the patience, but I just I just don't. I don't have the patience to play this game. We played so. it. We played it on on the on what is it the the Let's Play show. Yeah, we did do and, a Let's Play for and it. And we actually kind of didn't hate it as we were playing. Yeah, it. the the combat seems fun. Yeah, but but then to get to the combat, you have to deal with D- Daffy Duck. You have to deal with all this. I can't deal with all this. You know, I I don't know what you want me to do with Daffy Duck, Goofy. <laughs> It's too much. It's Donald Duck, Colin. Don, I'm sorry. Don, who's who's what? Who Daffy is Warner Brothers. He's with he's with uh, he's with uh, Bugs. Oh, OK. Yeah, you're right. You're absolutely you, you, right. You, you damn fool. I'm an idiot. I'm a fucking idiot. Barrett Boswell wrote into us and said, my award for not yet quite ashamed for playing game of the year goes to Kingdom Hearts 3. I have been playing the series since the beginning. And while the dialogue and story were sometimes quite laughable, it never chased me away. Kingdom Hearts 3, though, really pushed that envelope because the dialogue was especially cringeworthy. Thankfully, I finished it to completion and even platinumed it so I can feel accomplished yet kind of dirty. Thanks, fellas. Well, thank you, like, Barabaz. I don't like the phrase finished it to completion in regards to a... 
a game. Yeah. It makes sense. I understand it grammatically. Yeah, it is a little dirty, though, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah I agree with you there. Chris, my next award goes to the Star Wars Isn't All Bad Award. It was the Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order. Now, we're in a really dark period of Star Wars fandom with the new trilogy being at best fine. I think I've not seen The Rise of Skywalker at the time that I'm recording this. I will have seen it by the time that you guys hear this. So I don't have any opinions on that. But I do know that The Last Jedi sucks and that (laughs) Battlefront and Battlefront 2 were just disappointments, especially Battlefront 2 to me as a single player guy with this wedged in campaign and all that wedge. No, you know, no pun intended, of course. But I look at Jedi Fallen Order and I'm like, there's a there's new hope, no pun intended, about getting these Star Wars games back in order again. And I was pleasantly surprised by how much I enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it. And I actually enjoyed it just as much from a plot perspective and a storytelling perspective as I did from a gameplay perspective. I was interested in the events of the game. I was interested in the characters. I found a lot of them very endearing and charming. And so... I couldn't help but give my Star Wars isn't all bad award to the only game that can win it this year, which is Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order. Yeah, that's a good award. Yeah, well, you like you liked the game as well. Yeah, no, it was really good. I, and also, I, I've heard recently that uh, Battlefront Two has actually come around to being a pretty good game too. So there's 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 some pretty good hope in in games as far as Star Wars goes, at least. I agree. It seems like while the, the, the it's weird that the arcs can never be parallel to each other because when star wars was at its greatest in the 70s and 80s there were really no star wars games of any consequence except for like some arcade games and stuff and then when episode one and two and three came out there was like a lull in star wars games but or star wars movies but then there were some good star wars games that had just come out in the 90s and were coming out around that time and then the new movies come out and we're back at this lull and then the games are starting to be good again so i just wish that we can get everything on track. So what like the movies can be as good as the games and the games can be as good as the movies and they can all tie in together. But instead, we have whatever this is that's going on with uh, Ryan Johnson and J.J. Abrams. So Samuel Mills wrote into us, Chris. He said, my game of the year is Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order. Despite the many glitches, odd design choices and confusing level design, it exceeded my expectations. I enjoyed the story characters and exploring each level except Zepho pain in my butt to 100 percent. Yeah, that map is big. Thank you, Samuel, for your write-in. Chris, what is your final award of the year? My final award is uh, the I, There's the Snub Award. And it goes to Devil May Cry 5 for Mm. just not being nominated for Game of the Year for some reason. At the actual Game Awards. Yeah, a lot of people took took umbrage with this. It was kind of weird. I felt, I don't know, like I felt personally, like I like The Outer Worlds quite a bit. Like I really like it. But I don't know, man. I thought... Devil May Cry 5 should have been there more than The Outer Worlds. I don't know. Maybe that's just me, but like, and I guess there weren't any Western RPGs up there for representation, but as far as like a polished, good looking fucking game goes, you know what I mean? Yeah, people really enjoyed DMC5. And my original thought, Chris, was maybe this game is suffering from early in the year syndrome because it did come out a little earlier in the year but then I realized Sekiro won game of the year at the game awards and it came out before Devil May Cry 5 so that that can't possibly be yeah seems like it just got snubbed now I've said in the past I used to be a voting member of the game awards board or whatever and it's so it's it's entirely possible that people just weren't nominating it because they didn't they didn't play it and I have to admit I didn't play it I bought it it's in my game my download list because it was on sale somewhat recently and I'd like to play it. I haven't made it. I don't think I've played a Devil May Cry game since 
one or two. I think I played two yeah. on PS2. So it's been a long time for me. But it looks great because I like brute force action games, as we've talked about in the past. I'm not so much into sophisticated action games like Dark Souls or Demon Souls or Sekiro, where you have to really be patient and all that kind of stuff. I like just beating the shit out of things. And I know that Devil May Cry 5 at higher levels requires finesse and all that, but that's different. I don't feel like I can't brute force my way through the game. And so it's on the list for me. It's on the list. Super good. But that's a good that's a good award to give away. And Frank Casamento wrote into us and he said, hey, CNC, for me, Devil May Cry 5 is my game of the year. The combat is the best character action it has to offer. It looks great. And if you're a DMC fan, it has the return of one of the coolest characters in video game history. But it's unfortunate that it's getting no consideration for anyone's game of the year. How do you guys feel about it? Well, we just talked about that. So thank you, Frank. We're glad it's your game of the year and that you enjoyed it. And uh, yeah, it is a little weird that it didn't get a little bit more love. But we wanted to give it love here on Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast. And Chris, my last award goes to Civilization VI, which gets the Welcome to PS4 Award, the very simple Welcome to PS4 Award. I'm such a huge Civilization fan, and I know that there have been other strategy-type games that have come out. I'm not really familiar with the genre at all. I've only played Civilization V and VI and a few others that I've tried, like Total War and stuff in the past. I didn't even know that this genre is called 4X. Did you know this? I didn't even know this term. What? No. It's a it's a subgenre in strategy, and it's explore, expand, exploit, and exterminate. That's the the uh, the genre for X. And someone told me that I never even knew that. And these games are not really common on our platform. And so it's cool that it came, and it's cool that it's so playable. And I hope that it encourages not only more of these games to come and become playable, whether through controller or whether through keyboard and mouse in the future on PS5, perhaps but also that they work and that they're fun and that there's so much to explore in the genre. And I can really see myself just falling down this hole. When Civilization V came out to PC, I played Civilization V probably only for a couple months, maybe. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I think it's, I, I, there are a few games that are so addictive for me than these Civilization games. So I had to just tip my cap to Fair Access for not only bringing the game over, but bringing it over in a really thorough and playable way because on console we've only gotten civilization revolution which which are good but good games you can even get civilization revolution on vita which is super cool but they're dumbed down versions of civilization that aren't civilization and so shout out shout outs indeed to fear axis for bringing over their wonderful game and to the, to people for teaching me about the 4x genre which i didn't know existed it has its own wikipedia page if oh, anyone nice. wants to go look at it you can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. All right, Chris, let's get into the many awards that our audience wanted to give away. 
to games that we have not mentioned yet. We probably have, let's see, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20. I think there's 20 of these awards to give away or 20 games to mention that we didn't mention yet. Oh, good Lord. So let's talk about it. Jake Watson wrote into us, said, hey, guys, my game of the year is actually a Nintendo game, Fire Emblem Three Houses. But my first pick for PS4 is Sekiro. As somebody who doesn't care for the other Souls types game type games, I bought this expecting not to enjoy it and return it. Luckily, though, I ended up it ended up being one of the funniest or funnest. I'm sorry, experiences I've had in recent memory on PS4. The feeling you get as you slowly master the combat and make short work of enemies who you struggled with at the start is amazing. And then he also wants to give a shout out to Death Stranding. I was actually a little bit surprised that this wasn't in your list, Chris. Yeah, I mean, I don't think I could have really put it in good faith in my list because I never beat it. Um, I do. I've seen the whole game. Like, I know how it plays out. I know that I would like it. And it's definitely it was definitely in it was definitely up there. I think it would have been my number three if I hadn't really thought about. Well, I busted my ass to get the Crash Team Racing Platinum for a reason. And it's because I couldn't put the game down and I was really obsessed with it. Where a Sekiro, I kind of fell off, even though that game is really, really superb. Steven Short wrote in, said the award for best game that I really liked a lot is going to go to Team Sonic Racing. It's not the greatest game in the world, not even the best in the series, but it is a whole lot of fun. Kart racing is one of my favorite genres, and this is unfortunately a very overlooked entry. It's more Mario Kart than Crash, so it's more your style than... Ch- so if that's more your style, rather, check it out. The online is unfortunately dead, so set up a, t- a time to meet with fellow patrons to nab that very doable platinum. I looked this up because I didn't even know that this game came out this year. It's made by Sumo Digital, the British studio, who did a little bit of Planet 3 and, and Crackdown 3. They do a bunch of stuff. This game, I, I don't know anything about. Chris, did you, you're you a kart racer. Did you pay attention to this one at all? Yeah, I did. I, I, I looked at some... It was coming out... I think it came out a week before Crash Team Racing, though. Oh, that's right. I, I, I remember that specifically, and I was like, ah, you know, I think, <laughs> I think I'll... I think I'll just wait a little bit. Also, I just... I'm not really that big on Sonic. Uh, Sonic, if anything, kind of perturbs me more than he... I, I don't know, man. Sonic is one of those characters that, like, I, I can ignore most characters if I don't like them. You know what I mean? Like, I can I can ignore Bubsy or, you know, or, or Bomberman. <laughs> right. You know? Because I like Bomberman games, but, like, Bomberman as a character is kind of stupid. Right. But I can ignore him. I was like, all right, he's just he's just there. But, like, Sonic is so uh, so abrasive in his design that I just can't take my eyes off of him, and I just get, I just get upset. When I see him and all of his enemies look really weird. And I remember the tracks looked a little bit too. That game seems to be based heavily on speed and heavily based on team play and like coordinating with your team more than it's about like, you know, pulling off some crazy turns and like drifting like Crash Team Racing is. So I could tell that it wouldn't be my style of kart racer. But like from what I've heard from people who like kart racers, I did. I have heard that it is a very good one. It just depends on your style, really. Well, there you go. Uh, Steven Short, you have a Chris Raygun endorsement for your game of the year, Team Sonic Racing. Mark Zebro Jr. wrote in, said, hey, Colin and Chris, a special award I'd like to hand out for most likely to install a new sense of identity and hominess goes to Catherine Full Body. It's been many years since I played Catherine from its first release, and it still holds up. I'm much older now when I was playing this in my late teens when the world didn't as didn't feel, I guess he meant, as real as it does for me now. And with the addition of Rin, it only elevates a sense of purpose and identity for oneself as you progress through the game. 
I was so happy revisiting this game after such a long time, and I still praise it as one of my favorite games of all time. Thank you and have a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. This is a great choice. Now, I didn't play Full Body, but as people that have been with me for a long time know that I was a huge advocate for Catherine, the original game, and was really probably one of the major players in making that game something people paid attention to because I was at IGN at the time. And when we talked, same thing with Nino Cooney and certain other games, you can kind of trace that stuff back in some sense to me in a way. Not saying that anyone bought Catherine just because of me, but we were a big site putting Catherine on our front page instead of something like Call of Duty. That's your that's the column Moriarty touch. Now, <laughs> like whenever you saw weird shit on IGN, like Tales of Exilia or something like that on the front page, that was all Collins doing. Yeah. Now, Catherine Full Body is another one of those games, Chris, that I bought and just it's in my download list yeah. waiting to be played. Did you ever play Catherine? I played it. I, I think I. Oh, my God. I think I think I played the demo. If there was a demo, I swear to you, I played like a part of Catherine, but I never bought it and I never borrowed it from a friend. So I don't know where the hell I played it, but I know I've played it. It was cool. I just didn't have money at the time, so I just kind of didn't get it. And uh, time went on and time went on, and I just sort of forgot about it. But it's definitely something that at this point I, sh- I should probably I should probably just pick up and play and get it over with. How, how long is Catherine, though? I think, as a game? well, it depends on how good you are at the Qbert sequences, like right. the gameplay sequences. But I think you could beat it in like 20 hours, something like that, bad. if I recall. I reviewed it on IGN. You can go read my review if you guys are interested. Uh, I don't know how it compares to full body. I, like uh, Mark says here, there is a new character and they did they did tweak things. But what might be intriguing to people about Catherine is that Catherine was the game Persona team made between Persona 4 and Persona 5. So if you're in to that franchise and you've never played Catherine, you might find something to like here. But I'm really fond of Catherine. Catherine is one of those games that is unlike any other game that's ever been made. And it's not just from the gameplay perspective. For people that have never played it or are unfamiliar, it's about a guy named Vincent who's having like a crisis of conscience, basically, where he's with this woman named Catherine with a C and then, or no, I'm sorry, Catherine with a K. And then Catherine with a C is like this hot blonde vixen that comes into his life. And it's about how he like kind of wants to cheat on his girlfriend and like kind of be with this other girl, Catherine, and about how he plays it. And the gameplay is that all of his friends meet in this restaurant bar and they talk and they go over everything. And then he goes to sleep and has nightmares about it in which he has to like escape from these nightmares. And the nightmares are basically Qbert. If you guys are familiar with the structure of Qbert and it's awesome. It's fucking awesome. Like Catherine is just really, really great. So Mark, good pull, good pull. Indeed. I think the original one came out in 2011. So it has been a little bit of time since, but you can play it on PS3. If you guys have your PS3 is still handy. Johnny Bailey wrote into us, Chris. He says, hey, CNC, long time, first time. My game of the year would have to be The Outer Worlds, which we haven't actually talked about yet, Mm -hmm. surprisingly. While the scope was small and the gameplay was nothing new, the world was fresh, the characters were engaging, and the ending mechanic made me want to keep playing the game in different ways to see how I could affect each character. With with the seeming fall of Bethesda, it's a no-brainer to see Obsidian fill the void of sci-fi RPGs. Love the show and have a great Christmas. Uh, I agree with you. I, I... I think I'm with Chris with the Game of the Game Awards thing where I'm like, I don't know that the Outer Worlds is as special as it would have been a few years ago, maybe. Mm-hmm. But it has to be acknowledged as turning everything inside out and giving us the fallout game we wanted. And that that can't be ignored. I mean, that can, that simply cannot be ignored as something as some accolade that Obsidian now Microsoft owned Obsidian should earn and they earned it with Outer Worlds. I played it for about 20 hours. I got to go back and either restart it or just jump back into it. But I liked what I played so far. And 
I usually play games, like I said, with brute force and shooting and stuff. But when I play these kinds of games, I like to do it as nonviolently as possible. And yeah, that's what I'm doing. And so it's really fun to play it that way and to figure out how you can how you can do it. It is a really solid game. Like, I'm, I'm really I'm really happy that it exists. I like a game where I can just be a lying scoundrel and get my way out of everything. It's just so cool. It's super awesome. It's just it's, it. it really is a shame that that game came out at such a uh, crowded time. Because they, that's because that's the only reason I didn't really stick with it until the I, I definitely am going to have to like restart it. Like I, I think I at this point I definitely I don't know what the hell I was doing. I don't know who the hell I was talking to. I don't know what mission I'm doing. I don't know what planet I'm on. I don't, I don't even remember who the people are anymore at this point. So I'm, so I'm probably gonna have to restart it. But you know I'm excited once everything settles down to uh, spend some quality time with it. Yeah, absolutely. I think I'm probably in the same boat, which is why I probably just won't get to it for a while now because I'm just going to move on to something else at this point. Yeah. Neo JD wrote in and said, my 2019 game of the year is Life is Strange 2. As a Hispanic man, just like Chris, I've never felt more represented in a video game. I applaud don't I applaud don't nod for having the guts to tackle political issues like immigration, religion, forced motherhood and more that most devs would shy away from. With Telltale failing to deliver for me with the final season of The Walking Dead, don't nod took a similar idea of your choices shaping a younger individual's own later uh, own life later on and did it justice. They created another heartwarming tragic tale that will forever live on with me and has solidified themselves as one of my favorite or one of my all-time favorite developers. Don't nod's journey French team been very very interesting to watch them come into their own with this i've still not played life is strange and it's one of those games that i really do i really would like to play it is supposed to be excellent have you experimented with these games at all yeah i (laughs) i am not the biggest fan of life i never i haven't played life is strange too but uh the original life is strange is kind of a it's kind of a meme heavy game it's a game that content content creators sort of play to kind of poke fun at which which is actually like super sad but i mean i don't know there's a lot of like cringy dialogue in the first one it's it's very teenage girl oriented so there's a lot of uh there's a lot of hellas you know uh, and a lot of that stuff in it yeah i i, I remember one <laughs> one line where she's feeding a rabbit and she says nosh on this <laughs> and uh that sticks out to me there's also and that's a you shut the game off <laughs> there's also a sequence where uh i where i shut the game off where she She's supposed to go into this dormitory at a college and retrieve a USB stick for a friend of hers. And when she gets it, she uh, she starts doing like a like a golem impression, uh, talking about how like, oh, hey, I've, uh, uh, my precious oh, must protect precious. And it's like, I don't know why you're doing this to yourself. You sound like a psycho and I don't feel comfortable playing as you. And that was the point. end. And that was, that was the, the end, end for me. That. But I, did, yeah. I have heard that Life is Strange 2 is significantly better and significantly less eye rolly. Uh, and that's cool that uh, you know I I didn't realize that it was a Hispanic family in the in the game. That's kind of neat. Yeah, 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 it's cool. That's neat. I like game. I, I I don't I can't speak to any of the themes of the games. I know that it's about like a troubled teen girl, I guess, or something. But I like I do agree that I like when games deal with adult themes or real themes. This this is a good example of why I think politics very much do belong in video games when it makes sense and making a game about a pro-choice or pro-life thing or making a game about pro versus anti-immigrant politics or whatever. I think that's cool. And actually, I think that's like essential. I love it. And so grounding stuff in the real world every once in a while, we don't often dwell in the real world in games or what, what's the, what's supposed to be the real world. And 
so I, I don't know. It's intriguing. I ha- actually have the first one on on disc for some. I don't know. I guess Square Enix might have sent it to me or something. But I got to get there at some point. Maybe in 2020, I'll do it. Yeah. Matthew O'Sullivan wrote into us. Chris, he says, hello, Corvellian Corvette Colin and Shuttle Tidarium Chris. Now, this is a good reference. Do you know? Do you know what these references are? No, no Cor- clue Corvellian at all. Corvette. Not even a slight Star- idea. They're Star Wars references. Corellian Corvette is the very first ship you see in A New Hope. It's the one that the Imperials are trying to board oh, with right. Leia on it. And then the Shuttle Tidarium, which I love. I wish I was Shuttle Tidarium Colin. Shuttle Tidarium is the Emperor's ship in Return of the Jedi. Ah. Uh, he says Ace Combat 7 is my game of the year. It's a challenging game with an engaging story that deeply respects the player's intelligence. I hope we get more Ace Combat soon. I've heard a lot. I'm, now, I'm not an Ace Combat fan. I think Ace Combat... It wasn't even a numbered one. It was like a downloadable version. What was it called? Like, it wasn't called Afterburner because that's another game. But it was something, <laughs> whatever it was, I played it and I liked it. But I'm just not very good at flight simulators, even if they're arcadey flight simulators. Ace Combat is is definitely an arcadey. Oh, yeah, no, I'm, I'm really bad. I'm really terrible at them, too. I can't I can't figure yeah, it I don't, out. Yeah, I don't get it. And so th- this game is not a game I'll ever play. But I've heard actually a lot of good things about Ace Combat 7. People were really excited about it coming out. And Bandai Namco develops this game internally and, and apparently did a nice job with it. So seems like an appropriate game to be on the list. Yeah. Thank you. Cool as hell. Chris, the next one comes from Slingblade. Whoa. Whoa. Do you think this is like one of Joe, like, you know, Joe Biden with corn pop? <laughs> you think Slingblade was like another one of those guys? Like you don't want to fuck, uh, fuck with Slingblade. That was like Slingblade was corn pops like muscle. What if that's his name? Like his 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 like uh, Donna and Theodore Blade. That would be, yeah, be awesome. Just got together and had a baby, and they were just like, ah, you know what? Sling. Let's name our, our boy Sling. Short for uh, Slingthony. Slingthony. Slinkfer. Slinkifer. <laughs> All right. He says, hey, Colin and Chris, my most surprising game of the year contender this year was Ukulele and the Impossible Lair. After a first attempt that I thought was kind of shit, the devs switched gears from 3D platformer to 2D platformer and were much more adept at, at crafting that. It's the only thing on PS4 that really captures the Donkey Kong Country feel and has an engaging platinum trophy to boot. Cheers and thanks for the podcast. This is an interesting one. So obviously this is from Platonic Games, published by Team 17 over in England. And it's funny because Ukulele was supposed to be the the original Ukulele was supposed to be the revival of the 3D mascot platformer, and it ended up being not very good. And that was surprising because of the team that got together to make it. Platonic Games was supposed to be this kind of tour de force of X rare people when yeah. rare was like good, you know, in quotes, and they didn't deliver. So I actually heard the same thing that this 2D platformer, uh, the impossible layer was supposed to be pretty good. So it's yeah. cool to see it make it onto someone's list. Yeah, it's weird. That whole that whole time period where they were making that game was interesting because a hat in time came out and everybody was loving a hat in time. Like that was like the big one that was like, oh, man. Ukulele is like fine, but like check out this new Hat in Time game by people who aren't from X Rare. Right. I, I played Hat in Time and it was pretty good. Yeah. I bet people yeah. were like, I bet, I, bet, I bet the people at Platonic were just like, yo, what the, what the fuck? Like, really? There's not been a single one of these games in like years and you just choose now to, I don't know. That was yeah, your game. Yeah. It was, it was interesting because I think Ukulele was crowdfunded. Yeah. And so they did have quite a bit of pressure on them to deliver. It was surprising that they didn't deliver. It just, I don't know, man. I just, I wonder if we think Rare was better than they were or if they're a studio of a time and place. I don't know, but it's cool that they went to 2D. What was interesting is that they went to 2D, which Rare wasn't really known for at that time at all. They did do a lot of 2D games back in the day, but 
And then they finally make a good 2D game. It's uh, all right. That's cool. Good for you. Yeah. Daniel Schiffer wrote in. He said, hi, C-squared. My game of the year would have to be Darkwood by Acid Wizard Studio. A phenomenal horror game straight out of Eastern Europe, so you know it's it's right fucked up and good. Without spoiling much, you play as a nameless survivor in a plagued land who must navigate the slowly enveloping dark woods. It's isometric, and you only have a small cone of vision to see through the ominous landscapes. You scavenge by day and barricade your hideout by night, hoping to God whatever it is lurking outside won't find its way in. But when you hear and not see a door, you don't barricade slowly creak open. Oh boy, you will shit your pants. Everyone keeps shitting their pants on this show. Yeah, Trying geez. to find my way out of the dark woods in this most, most eldritch experience I've had all year. Never have I felt more uncomfortable playing a horror game to the point that I could only stomach it for an hour at a time. This game is not for the faint of heart or one to sleep on, and you won't be doing much of that either after you play it anyway. I highly recommend it to anyone who hasn't yet played it. A true indie game of the year contender. <laughs> I actually looked this up because I didn't remember it. Yeah, I think that when it was announced, I did remember seeing something about it, but I don't know anything about Acid Wizard at all or the game. Do you know anything about this one? No, I've I've never heard of this straight up or the studio. Yeah, me neither. Darkwood Acid Wizard Studio. I've not heard of any of this stuff, so I'll check it out. I'm actually going to make note of it. It sounds kind of cool because I like games. I'm sorry. No, it's, it's not for the faint of heart, though, Colin. No, it's not for the faint of heart, which is, I don't know if I am, I don't know if you would consider me the faint of heart. I don't think so. No, you, you do eat a lot of Five Guys and you're fine, so. I'm sure I, you, I do, and I got my, I got my health things back yesterday, by the way, from oh. Kaiser, <laughs> and my, so I'm good on, I'm like, I was most worried about diabetes, like I said. I'm good there. I'm totally fine there. It's like not even a problem at all. Do you ever get medical results back and you're like, I'm completely befuddled that I'm okay? Oh, yeah. You know? I, 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 I had that re revelation first of all i had that revelation yesterday because my blood pressure for some reason i mean it's great but my blood pressure is always perfect and <laughs> that just surprises me for some reason but my cholesterol is actually getting really high they were saying ah. like really high so i gotta apparently watch that or what am i have to take like lipitor or something <laughs> <laughs> you're getting old i don't man. even know if that's i don't even know if that's a cholesterol medicine but i'm gonna be one of those old people on those commercials that are in like bathtubs <laughs> you'll be frolicking in the woods in slow motion fucking hate those commercials and i always think about europeans and others when I see those commercials because the medical commercial, the medicine commercial is a uniquely American thing. They're not in yeah. any other country. And so I always wonder, like, when a, someone from, like, Estonia comes to the United States and they're watching TV in their hotel room and that comes on, like, what do they think? It's probably super jarring. It's probably like watching, like, a, a hooker commercial in Thailand or something for, like, an, Amer <laughs> as a, from, as like an American or something. It's got to be really weird. Anyway, so Darkwood's a horror game. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, yeah, Darkwood's. We don't know anything about it, but it sounds pretty good. All right. Now, the next one comes from Deontay Al Almo. I think it's Deontay. His name is spelled Dante, but it's an there's an apostrophe between the D and the A. So Deontay, I think it would be Almo says, what's up, CNC? My game of the year is hands down Resident Evil 2 remake. RE2 is my favorite from the PSX era. I love what they did with Mr. X. The slight changes in the environment and the free DLC was, while not great, fun and challenging enough to keep me coming back for new scores. It was also a fun platinum to pop. I loved it. This game had not come up yet, which is surprising as well. We both really loved this game. Yeah. First of all, it's sold extraordinarily well, over 5 million units. But I do think we were talking earlier about calendars and game of the year and, and proximity. This game came out so early in 2019 that I do think that this game might have actually suffered from it being like the first major game of the year. To I mean, it came out within like weeks of the calendar turning. So I'm... Um, a little more so a lot of people are talking about it, but I feel like if this game came out in like May or certainly in September or October, it would have cleaned up. Yeah, I it's think. it's so. so good. 
It's so, so good. Excellent. Excellent. I love it. You gotta, I, I recommend it. You got to play it. If you haven't played it, you got to play it. Yeah, it's definitely one of the best uh, horror games, I think, available currently. And I'm excited about and I know Chris is too excited, just excited about Resident Evil 3 now on the on the back of this. Like, oh, it's totally. just, I, I'm, I'm really anticipating it, especially because it's not that far away. So we can really actively anticipate it. It's not something we just put off until later. It's only four months out. So or not even. Tenny Cootie wrote in and said, hey, guys, the award for biggest game that no one played has to go to The Walking Dead the final season. After all the drama with Telltale suddenly closing halfway through development, petitions asking for publishers to buy the studio, and then Skybound finally picking up and finishing the project, you'd expect more people to have bought the game. However, it seems like everyone who cared that the studio was closing disappeared when it came time to play. By the time Skybound finally finished the last episode, no one cared, no one talked about it, and I suspect no one bought it. And that is why The Walking Dead, the final season, was the biggest game of the year that no one played. I'd have to see the numbers about that. I think that some people did take issue, Chris, with a different team finishing it and stuff like that. And yeah, telltale kind of being thrown away and skybound kind of coming in to do it. But I didn't know that no one cared. I, I can't speak to that. Yeah. I don't I can't speak to it either. I'd like to get back into the walking dead. I did like the first season and the 400 days was the uh, inter- interstitial was the last thing I played, which I think was 2013 or something like that. So yeah, it's been a long like time, that. but I liked the first season. I played the first season on Vita as well. The second season's also on Vita, but you can't finish on Vita, so that's not worth really playing there if you want to carry your saves over, just in yeah. case anyone's curious. I, I I really like the first season too, but like I remember finishing the first season and feel, just feeling completely fulfilled with that type of game. Like I was like, I think I'm good for like several years. I'm I'm good until Detroit comes out. You know what I mean? It wasn't even clear. I don't think at that time in 2012 that they were going to do a sequel. I think it was obvious that they were going to after how well it sold. But yeah, it did it did feel like a nice self contained story, and I, I enjoyed it too. I thought it was great. Bart Chikaza wrote into us and said, hey, CNC, I'd be loath not to bring up Mortal Kombat 11. I love the changes they made to the gameplay for Mortal Kombat 10 with much more emphasis on footsies and meter management with a great cast of characters, including the Terminator and Joker and an exceptional story mode for a fighting game. I think NetherRealm did a fantastic job. Mortal Kombat 11 is one of the best selling games of 2019. So Chris and I aren't fighting game fans, but this game is very loudly succeeding in certain quarters yeah. of, of gaming. Are you, are, did you play it or any of your roommates check this game out? My, one of my roommates is, is, is he plays it, but I think they did either. He doesn't really understand how the, the fight, the fatalities work or they, they, or they just straight up fucked with the fatalities because I think you can't do the fatalities unless you unlock them with points that you have to spend or something. It's a little weird. It's a little obtuse, and it's not really clear what, how you're supposed to do them. Uh, so he kind of fell off on it, but it, it looks really good uh, from the perspective of somebody who would have previously enjoyed Mortal Kombat. I've never been a Mortal Kombat guy. I'm, I've always been more of like a like I liked Tekken Two and Marvel vs. Capcom Two and and some Street Fighter and the Arc System Works games like Dragon Ball Fighters and stuff like that. Um, I'm more into those kinds of things, but. Mortal Kombat looks good. Injustice, I guess, is super good. I enjoyed Injustice. Yeah, same when I same team, I think, right? Yeah, yeah. But Mortal Kombat has always been that one that I just I can never get my teeth into. But I'm glad that people are liking the new one. It's it's nice to see old legacy franchises kind of persisting to, you know, deliver solid experiences. Definitely, I agree with you. It, it I was really I wasn't surprised that people liked it, but I was surprised by how well it did, both critically and commercially, and continues to do. And yeah, I bought I haven't owned a Mortal Kombat game since the first one. I bought it in 1994 on my SNES 
And that was the one with like no blood in it, but it was fine. It, it played well. But my my biggest rem remembrance of Mortal Kombat and playing two and three, especially in the arcades, is I could just never do the fatalities for some reason. So, you know, like when you the end, you kill someone and then they're kind of like wobbling and they're waiting. Yeah. The game's giving you a chance. Like I you just go up and like punch them in the face or something like that. Yeah, I can never pull the fatalities off either. And I, I feel like Mortal Kombat is funny because it was a game of the time. Mortal Kombat for people that were around at that time will remember was incredibly divisive, incredibly controversial. And one of the most controversial games ever released, easily. And one of the reasons why Congress was flipping out in the early 90s, along with Night Trap and some of these other games, Doom was one of them. So, yeah, it's cool that Mortal Kombat persists. It's, it's cool that a lot of the people that were involved in the original are still working on it, which is neat. But as for in terms of fighting games, because I actually like fighting games, I like 2D fighters, so Mortal Kombat scratches that itch. But Mortal Kombat's so slow, in a lot of ways and so lumbering, which is the way it plays. I like Street Fighter and games like that that move a little bit more quickly. Personally. Yeah, yeah, I'm in the same boat, I think. Trent Sinning wrote in and said, what's up, fellas? I want to hand out an award for most disappointing game of the year. The most disappointing game of the year for me has to be Wolfenstein Youngblood. The idea of a cooperative Wolfenstein game seemed awesome to me, and I was really looking forward to playing another traditional Wolfenstein game. But with a friend, this is not what we got. I found the twins to be super cringe characters to play as, the constant need to jump back and forth between map locations of constantly respawning enemies to be super tedious, and the new enemy armor types and tacked on RPG mechanics felt totally out of place in a Wolfenstein game. The only saving grace this game had was pretty tight shooting, and it wasn't sold at full price. I hope to God this was just a one-off experiment and that none of these mechanics make it over to the new Doom. We'll see... This wasn't really made by id. This was actually made by Arcane or Machine Machine Games, I should say. It was made by uh, Arcane. So that gives me hope that this is not going to be what Wolfenstein is in the future. Because I'm a big Wolfenstein fan. And it was really, I was disappointed with Youngblood too. I actually didn't have a problem with the character so much. As much as I had a problem with just what you were doing in the game, I just didn't really understand. It was incoherent, really. Yeah. And... I, I just it's such a shame, Chris, because machine games, Wolfenstein games are excellent and they really kind of shat the bed a little bit with the Wolfenstein name. I don't know what the, I don't know what the fuck Bethesda is doing. It is really, really bizarre. That was the only video. That was the only game this year that I played and was so disappointed by that. I felt the need to make a video on like I, I feel like I never I never really do that. And I didn't even have high expectations for it. And I was still kind of super let down and confused and just left in in just a complete state of disarray from what I was playing. I definitely didn't finish it. I, I played like maybe four or five hours max of that game before I was just like, ah, I, I just I think I've seen everything at this point. It, it gets very boring and repetitive, like you said, and I actually got to the last boss and famously in the game. And this is a lot of problem. A lot of people had like the last boss is fucking really hard and you can't leave. So, like, once you're in the last boss, you're engaged. Like, there's no going back and getting different weapons. There's no going back and getting armor or leveling up or practicing or whatever. Like, you're just in this arena. Oh, so you just have to, like, load a previous save? That's, like, how you're supposed to get out of it? Yeah, I guess so. I don't know if they've patched it out since then, but a lot of people were stuck because they're like, we can't, especially if you're playing by yourself. It's like, what the fuck am I supposed to do here? And this is kind of a similar problem. I'm getting worse at games, I think. We were talking about this with Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order where I had to drop it to normal from uh, from hard. And so I, I do factor that in that I'm just not as good at games anymore as I used to be where I used to really be able to plow through games. But this wasn't a game or this wasn't a difficulty problem that was just unique to Youngblood. Wolfenstein 2, which was made by Wolf by Machine Games, also had really weird difficulty settings and was way too hard, way too hard. And 
it was that was disappointing. So I just don't know what are they going to like? Are they trying to make Wolfenstein into like the bloodborne of shooters or something where you have to be fucking annoyed with it to, to <laughs> get through it? I don't really understand. It's a little yeah. annoying. I don't know. Adam Bass wrote in said best unknown release of the year is Toe Jam and Earl. I really wish this game would get a little more publicity. I have platinum 10 major games this year and I still play this one for fun. It is a 90s hilarious roguelike game up to four players couch or co- online co-op, but just as enjoyable as single player. Uh, many true laugh out loud moments. So the game he's talking about here is Toe Jam and Earl back in the groove, which is was directed by Greg Johnson, who is the, the guy that did the original game back on Genesis. Uh, Human Nature made it. Uh, Human Nature, I think, is a San Francisco based studio, if I recall. Uh, but they made that weirdly weird PS4 exclusive game. It was PS3 and PS4. And I think it was on Vita to- Doki Doki Universe. I don't oh, know if yeah, anyone yeah. remembers that game. That game was really stupid. I thought no offense, but I thought that game was fucking really stupid. See, that's one of the games that like Sony put a lot of money and time into trying to promote. And then they're like, oh, no one liked it. And we're not going to do indie stuff anymore. And it's like, but yeah, but you did Doki Doki Universe. What the fuck are you guys doing? You know, that, that was just that's a different story. But yeah, so I didn't play Toe Jam. I haven't played Toe Jam in a in a very long time. I know it came out. Didn't really care about it. Yeah. But Adam Bass did. Did you play it, Chris? No, I no, I have no connection to the to that series at all. So I feel, like I, I feel like I wouldn't get much out of it. Cameron Fields wrote into us and he said, hey, CNC, unpopular opinion here. But my personal game of the year was a Plague Tale Innocence. Is that an unpopular opinion? I thought that everyone loved that game. Something about two, the two protagonists, Amica and Hugo, and their journey tugged at my heartstrings and kept me enthralled throughout. The plot was unique. The stealth gameplay was enjoyable despite its flaws. And its setting was also a refreshing change of pace from what games have been doing recently. If nothing else, a Sobo studio should be applauded for trying something different. Anyway, keep up the great work. So as far as I understand, they are going to get a sequel to A Plague Tale. I could be making that up. I bought it and actually played it for about an hour. I didn't really like it that much. I don't like game. I don't like games where I don't know to have a stealth game or sneaking game. It's got to be really well done and really well made. And I remember just playing the game and, and being frustrated with how, why, why am I being seen? What's going on here? Getting bumped back to the checkpoint. So it might have just been a place in time thing for me and I got to go back and play it. But did you experience anything with this one? I I never got around to it. This is something that like I just I wanted to get into because I really like stealth games and I like sneaking games a lot. But uh, I don't know. I just I, I guess I guess I just it just sort of slipped under the radar for me. I was aware of it, obviously, but there was just so much else. This, this year was just so full of shit. That I just I, I just couldn't justify splitting my attention between so many things at once. No, I, I absolutely agree with you. I, I will say that with the Plague Tale, the one cool thing about it, or there's probably many cool things about it, but one cool thing I can draw from it is that it's like a midi or like a Renaissance era setting. I think like a Dark Age setting, really during the plague, and so that's kind of neat. I, I don't I don't know that I've ever played a game in that era before, so that's kind of cool. And it reminds me a little bit of like Brothers. And yeah. some other games where you're playing with like two people, even when you're playing by yourself and stuff. So I don't know. It's it's on my list. It's another one of those games. I actually bought it at full price when it came out. I just never, never got around to beating it. Our old friend Turd Ferguson wrote into us. <laughs> he says, hey, guys, my award for best JRPG of the year goes to the Legend of Heroes Trails of Cold Steel 3. In recent years, this series has eclipsed Final Fantasy and Dragon Quest as one of my favorite JRPG franchises of all time. It just does a great job of combining the best elements of various JRPGs into one game. It has fantastic world building and lore, awesome turn-based combat, a persona-like social link system, and a great soundtrack. I platinumed both the English and Japanese versions of the game, and I highly recommend this game and franchise to all Sacred Symbols JRPG fans out there. I gotta say, man, I'm really excited to get into it, because 
as I said earlier on a different episode, I have the first two on Vita or the first one on Vita. I'll get the other one on Vita, too. And it's supposed to be fun. It's supposed to be about like a military academy and very weebish, you know, the kids at the military academy or whatever. And then you're fighting and doing all the stuff. But it does apparently take some of the best features of Persona and boil them down into something that's more role playing game like as far as I understand. So I think it'll appeal to me, but I'll report back because as everyone knows, 2020 is going to be the year of the JRPG for me where I try to play and beat one a month for 12 total. Yo, See God help do. you. I don't know why you did See that this year, like the, or, uh, for 2020 specifically. It's, it's such a loaded year. I just feel like if I don't do it now, I'm never going to do it because by the time the consoles come out and we'll be going into 2021, then then all bets are off at that point, right? That's true, but there's so. also famously very few good games when consoles launch. That's true. That's also true. But famously, again... I'll still probably play them all. Yeah. Because what else am I going to do? Domenico Smarto wrote into us and said, Hey, CNC, my game of the year is Sekiro Shadows Die Twice. This is coming from someone who's not a huge Demon Souls fan. The setting combat boss fights and sense of accomplishment I got from beating an enemy who's killed me many times made this my favorite game of the year. I also just want to give an honorable mention to Marvel Ultimate Alliance 3. Shut up, Domenico. This isn't a Nintendo podcast. <laughs> We've talked already about Sekiro a little bit, but do you have any other parting thoughts about it, Chris? It did win Game of the Year at Game Awards. Yeah, I mean, I I have a hard time arguing against it. I think I think it's just a really, really solid game. I, I really wish I had had the fortitude to stick with it, and I'm, I'm sure at, at one point I'll reset my brain enough to start it again and actually beat it. Because it's definitely one of those games that I'm, I, I know that I'm going to feel so good when I beat, but... Yeah, I, I'm with him, honestly. Like, I, I was never a big fan of Dark Souls or Demon Souls. Even Bloodborne I liked, but, like, there were a lot of caveats to it. Like, I just, you know, this game just felt like every benefit of a challenging game like that and, and all the benefits of having a gameplay system that's built around you, you know, being punished and learning how to overcome, like, a genuine challenge with the added benefits of just not feeling like you're slow and staple to the ground it was like a really good mix of feeling free to be cautious in the way that you wanted to be there was a lot of freedom in your approach to things which i i feel like as good as bloodborne is just really didn't give me that much of fair enough brandon hardman hardman for mega man 3's son says Game of the year for me is Untitled Goose Game by a mile. My wife and I sat down together and played this, and I don't think I've laughed so hard at anything in a long time. If the point of a game is to be fun, then this is one of the best games ever made, especially when you factor in that it only cost me $15. Still got to play it. Came out to PlayStation 4 just this last week, so yeah. uh, I'll download it. I'll probably just wait until it's a little cheaper. It does look cool. It looks cute. You can quirky. bang that game out in like a day, honestly. Really? Yeah, yeah maybe I'll do it. It's a really quick this, uh, game. It's... it's uh. I think you'd get a kick out of it just because it seems it, you're just harassing people. <laughs> so like I feel like I feel like you'd get a you get a you get a good kick out of that. Yeah, I have to check it out. It does look really cute, really quaint. So yeah. uh, that's on the list. I do. I will say though, it's being drastically overhyped. I get that feeling. I get that feeling. Like people are like singing the praises of this game, and it's like, listen, it's cute and it's fun and it's enjoyable and it's like whimsical and like all that. But it's like a two three hour game where you just harass people as a goose. Like, it's it's really not that deep. People shouldn't be, like, writing essays about how how this is, like, the next Citizen Kane or anything. Yeah, it just seems like one of those games that... I feel like there are a thousand games that probably 
are excellent that come out on Steam or something like that and just no one notices. And I feel like this is one of those games that could have been one of those games. Oh, for sure. It's interesting what games bubble up to the top and how, if it's marketing or PR help. Like, we're going to be doing all of our own marketing and PR for Twin Breaker. I'm not going to hire an outside firm because I don't want to. I think we could do it ourselves. But it's interesting about, like, well, does that stuff really help or hurt and hinder the game? And how did this game find its way? A lot of interesting stories behind that. Yeah. Joe John Quinn wrote in and said, hey, Space Rangers, let's talk about how Tom Clancy's The Division 2 has been completely snubbed by most every major outlet in Game of the Year considerations. The story behind the dollar flu is genuinely interesting. I agree with that. I love that idea. The moment to moment combat is kinetic and feels great. The customization and menus are all engaging and they realize that a one to one recreation of DC that's really true to life. The Division 2 is my personal game of the year, and I get that not all tastes are the same. Still, I feel the Division 2 was left out of the conversation like it wasn't even there. Thank you for keeping Tuesdays great. Thank you, Joe John. The Division 2 was just cut, like just cut off of my list in terms of the top three. It's probably in my top five. So I'm with you. I loved the game, too. And I think one of the most intriguing things about the Division is its lore. The dollar flew in the idea of a pandemic that takes over the United States starting on Black Friday and fucks every Christmas up. And so there are permanent Christmas decorations everywhere. And I mean, it's 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 awesome. And so when you move it to Washington, D.C., the intrigue increases a little bit. And I think it's just a really fun, solid game to play. Yeah. And I, I really loved it. I, I loved the division, too. I know you weren't as fond as, of it, as if I recall. No, I liked it a lot. I just uh, I I'm not typically a third person shooter guy. Generally speaking, there are some that I like. I like. You know, I like Gears and, and, and some other things. And I, I, I did like The Division 2 quite a bit. I just, I don't know, I fell off it because not a lot of my friends were playing, really. And also, I think I got stuck. <laughs> I got, like, really confused as to what I was supposed to do. And then I, like, put the game down and, like, played a bunch of other things. And then they came back and I was like, ah, I forgot. I forgot how to play this. It's actually kind of a, like, from a UI perspective, it's actually kind of daunting to get back into after you haven't played it for a while. Or at least from my perspective. So... Yeah, I don't know. I, I I feel like it's definitely a game that I'm going to want to play again just because the shooting is so good. Yeah, it is. It's really satisfying and fun and spongy and really fast moving. And yeah, I don't know. I dig it. And I think I think about all these things all the time. 90 percent of the things I think about with video games going and playing them, it never happens. So this is might be one of them. But yeah. I will it's say like with though, the DLC. I'm sorry. No, I will say, though, that I feel like a lot of uh, multiplayer games in general kind of get snubbed for the most part. That's true. Like, yeah. I think I think. Uh, what is it? Uh, Shadowkeep was actually kind of great, you know, but it's 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 nowhere in anybody's discussion. So it's like, uh, whatever. Yeah, it didn't come up. I didn't see anything about Shadow Shadowkeep's the Destiny 2 DLC, right? Yeah, the I expansion. Didn't, I didn't see any of the um, and I don't think anyone wrote into us about that either. No, I think so. Destiny one like I think Destiny one like best persistent game or something like that. But that's about it. It, it has its own category. Chris, finally, Josh, the Nomad wrote in with his last game of the year. He says, Hey, Colin, or he says, hey, Chris and Colin, how dare you, sir? <laughs> One game I want to highlight as my game of the year is Metro Exodus. 4A really did a great job of taking the linear nature of the Metro series and adapting to fit open world concepts. Also, the side characters and companions of Artyom's journey are some of the best and most fleshed out characters I've seen, and they all have personality and mingle with each other in dialogue. The players can hear if they wait if they wait near them, even better than Red Dead 2's side characters, in my opinion. That was the thing, by the way, Josh and the original Metros, too. It has some technical issues, and I think 4A does stronger work in a linear level design game, but the attention, detail, immersion, and story is amazing. Not to mention the whole game comes off as a love letter to post-apocalyptic fiction. Just wanted to share and maybe persuade you guys to give it a chance. Take care and keep the content coming. I bought, this is another game I bought, and that's in the uh, download list. 
I love I, I not only do I love the first two Metro games, I platinum them both. And they're both pretty difficult and tedious platinums to get. This is a game that I have to get to at some point. And, and as we've said, ad nauseum on the show, the, the cool thing to me, Chris, about about this game and the series is it takes place in Russia and we yeah. just don't get games that take place in Russia very much. So that's what's so cool about it to me. Oh, yeah. No, it's really uh, I really liked Metro Exodus from what I played. I never I never finished it because, again, just shit just kept coming out. But uh, I what I played of it, I I really enjoyed it. And I, I agree. I really like the the Russian kind of environment and, and the the aesthetics of Russia as a place to play in. Because like even in in the original Destiny, like the, the first map you go to on Earth is old Russia and you see all these like broken down cosmodromes with all these like Russian street signs. And it's like just such a cool aesthetic that's like really, really underused, I think, in, in games and c- cinema, everything, really. It's neat. Yeah. yeah, Russia's got this real mystique about it that it's always had. It's going back many hundreds of years. So it's cool. And I, I, I'm just desperate for games to not p- take place in the U.S. anymore. Like, that's yeah. what I, I'm just tired of. I love American post-apocalyptic fiction, but I loved it when it was quaint and then and when you didn't get it very often. That was what was fun about it. Like when a game like The Last of Us came out, even it was it was more quaint or like a, a famously like The Road, which is one of my favorite books. But anyway, that's all of our game of the year discussion for this year. We hope you enjoyed it. Do you have any closing comments, Chris? This is our this will be our last episode of the year, I think. I'm looking at the calendar. Yeah, yeah this is our last episode of the year. Yeah. I would like uh, I just want to leave everybody with some parting wisdom. Please. Did you, I, I want everybody to know that Chuck E. Cheese Mm. The the mascot, the rat that represents Chuck E. Cheese, has a full name, and his name is Charles Entertainment Cheese, and that is a real fact, and you can look that up of your own accord to see if I'm lying or not, but I assure you I'm not, and hopefully your holiday goes well with this information, and hopefully you can start a new year with this revelatory information, and uh. make the make the best of uh, make the best of this this derelict world this knowledge uh i don't i don't like that how do you feel about that i don't like it and i i don't uh why is the rat is he a rat or a mouse is that is there we're splitting hairs at this point because i just don't understand you're going to this place i'm not even sure i've ever gone to chuck e cheese to be honest no i've never i've never gone i don't think i've ever gotten to like a party there when i was a kid or anything we had one around us on long island but it was, it was like next to the Home Depot. That's all I know about it. Mm-hmm. And uh, why would you want to associate your brand with a rat? Like, it's because you eat food there and stuff. You know, rats were like edgy mm. at a certain point. It was like cool. They were like, ooh, cool rat. I think the guy. I could be making this up, but I think the guy that in. I really could be making this up, but I don't think I am. I think the guy that invented Atari founded Chuck E. Cheese. No, you're you're totally right. <laughs> Same dude, right? Yeah, you're totally right. <laughs> so that's interesting. Broken clocks uh, right twice a day, as it were. Well, it's funny. The Atari brand is basically worthless now, and actually Chuck E. Cheese still exists. So you know that Atari's making like a game, uh, uh, like what, they're making a console, like an old school console or like a new console. They're making a a, a, a big ass console that plays every single Atari game, because uh, people want that, I guess. I don't think they do. I think they're going to find out that people don't want that. Yeah, people so. definitely don't want a dedicated machine in their living room that plays games that you could fit on a fucking text document. Our Atari 2600 is a really quaint and interesting and important machine, but I defy, and I have one, and I, I've, River Raid actually is probably my favorite game on Atari. It's a great game, 
But I defy anyone to go play any of that stuff and, and, and tell me that you really want to play it again. Just go ahead. Go play. Go play Adventure and tell me you really want to play that again. Go play River Raid. River Raid's great. Go play the 2600 port of Pac-Man, which is an atrocity. <laughs> Wait, what? That's the pa- the pac Yeah, there's a port of Pac-Man that's on Atari 2600 that's fucking awful. Awful. Just awful. Oh, Go ahead and boy. check it out. Go ahead and check that out. So now, there to be fair, there's a bunch of Atari computers that were really big, like Radio Shack style computers that people bought in the 80s kits and, and over in Europe as well. So there are other Atari games I know past 2600, but... I'm still hung up on that. Yeah, on this is terrible. The wood paneling, by the way, though, on uh, on the Atari 2600 is awesome. I love that. Just love that they put wood paneling on the console. Amazing. All right, Chris, let's get the fuck out of here. It's the end of episode 79, our game of the year. We hope you all enjoyed it. Thank you for submitting your questions, comments, concerns, thoughts, and ideas. Thank you for supporting our show on patreon.com slash Collins Last Stand, where you can get early ad-free access to every episode of the show, the ability to submit your inquiries, Access to Sacred Symbols Plus, which is only for our patrons, which is a supplemental episode each week of Sacred Symbols that people are really enjoying, thousands of people. So come join us over there and uh, happy holidays. Best to you and yours. Love you. See you in 2020. Goodbye. Take care, guys. Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast, is a product of and a registered trademark of Collins Last Stand LLC and is recorded right here in sunny Santa Monica, California, USA. This show is conceived by, is written by, and is produced by me, Colin Moriarty. My co-host is Chris Raygun. You can find me on Twitter at NoTaxation and on Instagram at CLS Moriarty. Chris is on Twitter at Chris R. Gunn and on Instagram at Chris underscore Ray underscore Gunn. Sacred Symbols is edited by Dustin Furman. Any snail mail can be sent to the CLS P.O. Box, P.O. Box 1233, Santa Monica, California, 90406. To message the show online, please use Patreon's DM service. As you know, all of Colin's Last Stand shows, including Sacred Symbols, are fan-funded on Patreon at patreon.com slash Stand. The following names are at the producer level or higher on Patreon, and we are eternally grateful for your kindness, generosity, and fandom. Chris Adams, Carlos Algaret, Morgan Ashley, Saul Balcazar, Taylor Barkley, Martin Beck, Tyler Bello, Mark Boggio, Barrett Boswell, Spencer Brand, Miguel Brewer, Lennon Brixie, Eric R. Brown, Jason Budnick, Josh Bushing, Austin Bullock, Dylan Burns, Chris Buston, Nick C., Alex Cabrera, Patrick Carper, William O'Carroll, Brian Chan, Sean Chandler, David Chestnut, Rodney Coleman, Simon Conception, Brad Cooley, John Cordero, Gio Corsi, Philip Crone, Daniel D'Amour, Colin Davenport, Knight Draft, David Ellis, Jerome Ferreira, Joe Finelli, Eric Finkenbeiner, Ruidon, Fitzpatrick, Chris Galvin, Darren Gardner, Connor Gashian, Alex Gates, Michael Gates, Salem Ghanem Al Ghanem, Tyler Goodwin, Hayden Gorringe, Josh Gravelick, Miranda Grubba, Jonathan H., Eric Harden, Tyler Harris, Richard Hebert III, Kyle Hagel, Shane Hendrickson, Wyatt Henry, Robbie Hensley, Scott Hernandez, Asa Haas, Johnny Humphreys, Blake Israel, Azan Isa Al Raisi, Josh Yeager, Joshua Jonathan, Paul Joyce, Greg Julefs, Anton Kay, Patrick Kelly, Jeremy Key, Antti Kinnanen, James Kinslow III, Ryan R. Kittredge, Mason Cadillac, Jackson Lastiqua, Don Q. Lee, Patrick Leslie, Dustin Lewis, Keith Adrian Lewis, Chad Lewis, Lou and Ray Loper, Colin Love, Scott Lovelace, Josh M., Kiet Mai, Ryan T. Mandel, Ross Maranka, Matt Martin, Sean Mason, Jordan Mouse, Zachariah McAdoo, John McCarthy, Josh McKinney, Joe McPartland, Raul Melendez, Andrew Mendoza, Chris Moore, Betty Ann Moriarty, Ryan Murdoch, Stephen Nieder, Adam Nix, Donnie Nolan, Dan Nolan, George Anthony Nunez, Jesse Owen, Jorge Palomino, Andrew Parker, Zach Parsley, Daniel Parsons, Marius S. Peterson, Gerald Pennington, Matthew 
Perdue, Enrique Perez, Jason Pettit, Travis Plymall, Jeff Pollard, Lawrence F. Prokop, Nathan R., Ryan Reeves, Michael Renner, Peter Reynolds, Shane Rayum, Jonathan Rice, Mark Richardson, Daniel Rivas, Petro Rose, A.G. Rowe, Jose Salinas, John Schultz, Michael Shanholtz, Toby Schutman, Joshua Smallwood, Matthew Tamer, Ahmad Tamar, Ben Thompson, Carl Tolman, Alan Tremblay, Michael Vecchio, Justin Wagaman, Oakley Waldron, Isaac Wastman, Damon Weathers, Mike Wayne, David Wright, Corey Wyatt, Tony Zuniga, Casual Misfits Gaming, Bloody Fang, Organic Produce, Homeworld Hub, Throw7, McDog18, Infinite, Boots, Mad Mock Media, Not Your Real Dad, Mubarak, Craft Heads Podcast, Richter86, Hugo's Desk, A Fortuna, Andrew, Ian, Chris, Dav9834, Gamer Filmaholic, Megadet, and Rainick. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because you know if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today.